you can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. It's only one verse, um, so if you <clears throat> don't have a Bible with this time, I'll let it slide. Uh, we will reference a few scriptures otherwise, but I'll, I'll just um, share them with you so you won't have to turn to them. But um, maybe, um, maybe this week just listen and take it all in. How about that? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you as those who are indeed poor in, in thousands of ways, spiritually speaking. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see it more clearly this morning. Pray that you would give us a desire for the kingdom of heaven, and that you would give us a clearer view of, of our inheritance, which is to come. Help us to know what is the blessed life. Teach us how to be happy, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about just quitting your job? I'm not done yet. Many people have thought about that. Quitting your job, selling your house, and then giving all of your money to the poor. is uh, well. Let me finish. Uh, and then standing on a street corner, a busy street corner, and just begging for strangers to give you something to eat. Is that something that any of you have ever like aspired to? Does that sound like fun? Does that sound like a happy life to you? <laughs> was a very popular thing to do in the 13th century in Europe. It was very common, in fact, to have a number of people who were trying to seek God more. Uh, very religious figures. Uh, in fact, uh, most of the uh, monastical orders that we're familiar with today, the, Francis the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Augustinians, they're all monastical orders that took vows of poverty that did just that. They would sell everything they had and would join some sort of commune, but the majority of the day, they were either trying to beg on the streets for something to eat or for other types of work. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with St. Francis of Assisi. He was the, sort of the first one to make it popular, if you will. He turned his back on the world, and he sought to marry what he referred to as lady poverty. And that by marrying her, he would have a, a greater view of, of Christ. It became known as the mendicant movement in church history. Mendicant means open hand. So it was the idea that these men would give uh, open hands unto God and then ask for an open handout, if you will, from strangers on the street in the name of the Lord. Now, that's not to say that they refused to do any work. These men weren't lazy, per se, at all. Um, most of them had a trade or some other type of ministry in which they would um, receive food and, and, and necessities for their labor, but only for one day at a time. They weren't allowed to accumulate any money. They weren't allowed to receive anything more than what they could live on for that particular day. And when they could not find any labor of any kind that would help them pay for that day's needs, that's when they would start to beg on the streets, you see. So it wasn't that they were lazy, but they were, they were looking for a, a, a way to get closer to God through that vow of, of, of poverty. Um, in fact, um, this was a, a new idea and quite innovative because of <clears throat> sort of a new, <clears throat> new innovation in the exchange of money. 
Uh, prior to this time, most people bartered for the things that they need. There was no regular commerce of uh, currency. And so when currency became very common, uh, this was sort of a reaction to that, saying, well, now everybody's so greedy and somebody, everybody wants so much money and they want to store it all and hoard it all that they wanted nothing to do with money at all. And that's why they were living just day by day according to the need. So they weren't, they weren't freeloaders. They were just antagonistic, if you will, of accumulating goods in some form or fashion. But the, the key to all of this was they had to agree to a vow of poverty. That somehow poverty in itself was... Uh, a, a great blessing unto God. Now, if you if you were to read Luke's account of the Beatitudes, you might come to the same conclusion that the mendicants did, because in his account, he just simply says, "Blessed are the poor." He doesn't qualify what he means by poor. So you you might come to the same conclusion that somehow poverty in and of itself led to spiritual blessing. But nowhere else in Scripture do we ever see that being the case. Nowhere do we see that simply because a man is poor, automatically he's blessed by God. It doesn't, it doesn't state that. It doesn't infer that anywhere. The, the poor man is, is just as depraved as the rich man, sometimes much more so. Uh, but at, at times he can be in a condition where he's maybe, perhaps, open to hearing the gospel in a way that a rich man might not be, but not necessarily so. That's the whole point. In fact, Paul says that if a rich man were to sell all of his goods, all of his riches, and give them to the poor, that means nothing from heaven's perspective, right? He says because you're still missing something of a spiritual blessing. Just because you get rid of the physical blessing doesn't make you any closer to God whatsoever. In fact, when you're reading in the Old Testament, even many times when it's referencing some aspect of God's favor upon the poor, thank you, um, it's not necessarily anything of a physical poverty so much as it is a spiritual poverty for instance psalm 34 verse 6 david says this now keep in mind david is the king of israel so you know he's not poor right he's like the most wealthy man in israel he says this though he, he says th referring to himself this poor man cried out to god in his need and the lord helped him in the midst of all of his troubles he's not referring to physical poverty but to some aspect of spiritual poverty he saw himself as poor in the eyes of the lord he saw himself as needing much help from god so so poverty itself at least scripturally speaking doesn't mean simply a lack of money but poverty can mean a lack of anything there are a lot of different types of poverty in the world one can be very rich in some things and very poor in, in others. For instance, someone may be rich in intellectual capital, if you will, but then be very poor in social capital. You know what I mean by that, right? You'd be really smart, but can't talk to people whatsoever. It's a different type of riches. Same way you might have great financial capital, but have very little political capital. We've seen that with many men who have uh, run for office with lots of money, but then couldn't get very many people to vote for them. They're all different types. So in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus reveals His mission to the world and He's quoting from Isaiah, He says, the Lord has anointed Me to bring good news to the poor. He's not speaking of merely the physical poor, but rather those who see themselves as poor from heaven's perspective. I've come to preach good news to them, to the brokenhearted, to those who are enslaved to their sin. All those types of things that are, they're desiring, they're desperate for help. So then what does it mean? to be poor in spirit. Well, if someone is poor in financial capital, you can sort of see it on the outside, right? You, you sort of, you could tell if his clothes are 
worn and tattered. You can tell if maybe he doesn't have any place to lay down his head at night. You can tell that he doesn't have the ability to purchase the necessary goods that he needs to care for himself, to care for his body. And therefore, it's, it's very obvious that he's, he's poor in some financial way. But if someone is poor in a spiritual manner, it may not be readily seen by others because it's not so much what others think of you, but rather what you think of yourself. How you see yourself. Am I poor in spirit? Or do I think I actually have a few things going for me really well spiritually that uh, I'm much more capable than my friend down the street, if you will. Luke 18 is probably the best example of this. right? When we think of uh, Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you're, most of you are familiar with that. Remember, both men go into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee goes in there and immediately starts to give thanks. Lord, I thank You. I'm not like the sinners. I'm not like those extortioners and those adulterers and those wicked men. And then as soon as he says that, the tax collector's walking in. He's like, I'm not like that man. Thank You, Lord. I'm not like him. That's what he says. And then he begins to boast. And Lord, I, I give You all the tithes that you've asked and and I fast twice a week and I just do so many good things for you, Lord. I'm so glad that you know me. (laughs) Sort of in that manner. And then we see the opposite. The tax collector comes in and, and he's in the very back of the temple and he simply, he doesn't boast, he doesn't give thanks. He simply offers a plea to heaven. He says, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. And Jesus says, that man was justified that day, whereas the Pharisee was not. One was very close to heaven, one was very far. One was very happy, one was not, but he didn't know it. So poverty of spirit is, is not what a man appears to be through the eyes of other men, but rather what a man thinks of himself and certainly what God thinks of him in terms of his spirituality. A man who is poor in spirit realizes that he has no spiritual resources in himself. None. Therefore, he's forced to look to God for help. He's desperate for God's help, both in terms of his salvation as well as in terms of his sanctification. So the man who's poor in spirit is not necessarily begging for a handout from men, but rather is on his knees every day begging for grace from God. Big difference in how he sees himself and what he needs. Think of it this way. What, what do you suppose causes a man to begin begging in the first place? You ever thought about that? When you see a person who's holding up a sign on the side of the highway, you ever, you ever thought, what would cause this person to lower themselves, if you will, to do this? Do you think any of them do it just for fun? I mean, there are entertainers, don't get me wrong. There are some entertainment beggars, if you will, and they're actually quite fun to watch. The, uh, in other countries, I have enjoyed a few of them. There's, uh, my favorite one was when we were in Colombia, and we were driving home late at night from some Bible study, and there was a guy dressed fully in an Iron Man costume, and he was like flexing his muscles and doing all the, all the side of the road as you're driving by, and then you get close to him, he's like, hold out his hand for the money, you know, kind of thing. And uh, but I mean, he was in the pouring rain. It was flooding, and the guy was still on the street just doing his stuff, you know, kind of thing. And you're like, I got to give him money, you know, in that sense. He's just he deserves it, you know, that sort of thing of that that nature. But most people, especially in other countries, but in America as well, they 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 beg because they feel like they don't have anything else they can do. They're so desperate 
They have no resources. They're nowhere else to turn. They literally have to go and ask a stranger for help on the side of the street. They feel like there is no other option. This is all I have. Well, in a very similar way in terms of spiritual begging, you would never come to beg for spiritual blessings unless you felt like you had none. You would never lower yourself in that way because you think, well, I I got what I sort of need. I don't really need anything from you, so I'm not going to beg. It's only the person who who realizes that he has nothing good in himself that then turns to God in this way. No spiritual advantage, no spiritual desire, no spiritual ability. He can't do anything that God requires. He knows it fully, and therefore he has to turn to God and beg for help. Most of us who have come to faith in Christ know what that feeling is, at least at some point in time, right? You've been convicted with the law. You know you're destination, you know where you're headed, you're headed to hell, and you have no hope of changing that whatsoever. And all of a sudden you're like, what can I do? You turn into a spiritual beggar at the moment that you fully understand the gospel and you plead for it. Lord, save me. Have mercy on me, O God. You know what it's like. But unlike with some of the signs you might see for those who are begging for money. Uh, you know, it used to be in America, people would have on their sign, we'll work for food, right? That used to be a very common sign. You don't see that as much today. But a spiritual beggar will never hold up a sign saying, we'll work for heaven. That's not at all what poor in spirit means. He realizes he can't work for heaven. He can't do anything to get into God's good graces. You know, most of us think of beggars in America today as just being lazy, and perhaps some of them are. Uh, but I, I think I once told you, probably a year or two ago, about a, a trip that I had taken to Indonesia, and it, was the, it really was the most pitiful begging situation I've ever seen in my life, and I still can't get it out of my mind. And it was at a very, it, it's the biggest Buddhist temple in the world on, on one of the islands in, in Indonesia. And right in the middle of the touristy area, there's a man... Um, half sitting, lying on a mat. He's blind. He has no arms and no legs. And he's sort of waving whatever nubs that he has and just crying out. I have no idea what he's saying, but clearly he's there for a reason. In fact, someone had to bring him there for this reason. And he has nothing he can do. He can't work. He can't earn his way. He has no other options but to sit there, lie there, and beg. And I was thinking about that in terms of uh, what it would look like for a spiritual beggar, you know, in the sense of what sign would you hold up? You wouldn't hold up woodwork for heaven, right? In that sense, I was thinking, okay, well, here. In fact, I thought about, well, maybe I should just go to the side of the highway sometime this week and hold up a sign for what a spiritual beggar might look like. And, and, and here's what I would write on my sign. I'm utterly vile. Worthless and helpless. Blind, deaf, and heartless. Certainly penniless in any heavenly currency. So I'm begging you, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think that's closer to what spiritual begging looks like. Certainly not, uh, I'm willing to work for heaven. I'm going to try harder, Lord. Throw some change my way. Nothing like that. But I imagine some people in this room might think, well, you know, no one really ought to see himself in that way. That's just a bunch of words. 
But I, I assure you that I think one must see himself in that way in order to really embrace the gospel, to really understand what it is that God wants to give you, in order to really be blessed by God. He says the one who is blessed is the one who feels his need in this way. He has to be desperate. He can't just say, well, I, I, I can take it or leave it, maybe. You know, if you, you want to throw some grace my way, great. Uh, it's not like that. If you look at the Psalms as a whole, and you enter into the mind of the psalmist himself, notice he's desperate. He's absolutely desperate, and he's begging God, Lord, hear me. Answer me. Help me. In fact, anyone who thinks otherwise, I think, has to be far from the kingdom of heaven. If you remember, Jesus rebuked the church in Laodicea because they had the opposite perspective. They didn't see themselves as poor in spirit. They saw themselves as rich in spirit. Literally, here's what he says, Revelation 3.17. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, You say, I'm rich, I'm pro- I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing, he says, that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, it's only the poor in spirit who really feel their need for Christ. If you don't sense that pitiable condition, that wretched condition, then you won't feel your need for Christ. So when we were singing that song during the prelude, Come ye sinners poor and wretched, did you, did you realize I was actually singing about you? Not, not the, the sinner who comes in here from some of the but, but about you and about me too. I, I always conclude myself in these things. But it's, it's a song that it's a call to worship to tell those who see themselves as poor, wretched, pitiable people that there is hope, that there is grace, that there is riches to be found in the gospel of Christ. In fact, the, one of the, the verses that we sang, uh, we were singing encouraging one another not to linger from coming to Christ because of some dream that we would somehow be fit enough that Christ would receive us. He says, nor fitness fondly dream, right? Because he says, here's the answer. All the fitness that he requires is to feel your need of him. What he requires of you is to know that you need him and are desperate to have Him. And most people don't come to Christ because I think either they already see themselves as being spiritually fit somehow, they don't need Him, or else they know that they're not fit, but yet they're not willing to humble themselves and to beg of God for help. Certainly not for salvation, but for other things as well. It's, and that's a big problem because our salvation hinges on this. The, the very first blessing that he pronounces is the idea that you have to understand and know and embrace the fact that you are poor so that you can receive the riches of Christ. If you can't do that, then you will never receive the gospel. You will never receive the kingdom. Did I ever tell you that I was actually a millionaire before? Everybody always laughs when I say that. Do I look like I'm super poor? Is that what it is? I was a millionaire twice before becoming your pastor here at Fenton. Unfortunately, I spent most all of it on exotic things. 
And then the last 100,000, I just gave away to a stranger on the street. I just got kind of tired of it. I know, you want further explanation. I didn't tell you how I became a millionaire. See, when I visited Indonesia, you have to convert your American money, U.S. dollars, into Indonesian rupees. Well, if you know anything about Indonesia, it has a very good exchange rate for Americans. Uh, it has the, the fourth lowest currency in the world. So I came into the exchange booth with $200 in my pocket. And I walked out with 3 million rupees. 3 million. I was just walking around the city streets of Jakarta with 3 million in my pocket. Feeling pretty good about myself. And then after I had spent most of my money on exotics, and the reason why they're exotic, in case you're wondering, is because it's an exotic country. Everything there is exotic. I spent most everything on exotic gifts. And then the last 100,000, I just gave to a stranger on the street because 100,000 rupees is about seven bucks. You thought I was pretty generous, didn't you? Why am I telling you this? Well, riches and poverty, you have to understand, are relative terms, right? So... Uh, one person may be very rich in some eyes and then yet still be poor. Vice versa, someone might be very poor in other people's eyes and yet still be rich, depending upon the comparison. There's a standard by which we judge whether someone is rich or poor. When, when it comes to spiritual things, we have to judge our spiritual condition according to God's heavenly currency, if you will. Not according to our man-made spiritual currency, what we think that God ought to receive from us that he ought to receive this money. Uh, although I may be rich in Indonesian rupees, I might be very poor in U.S. dollars in the same way it works spiritually as well. I may think I'm rich in my own spiritual currency, but be practically bankrupt in heavenly currency. Uh, think of it this way. Um, uh, you remember German inflation in 1920s? <laughs> in 1923... A loaf of bread in Germany costs 200 billion marks. 200 billion. So just prior to that happening, the average German was going to the grocery store with the wheelbarrow full of money to buy a slice of bread. But then it got to the point where it got so expensive, nobody could even afford that. The money became practically worthless in every way. The children were given, most people were given money to the children, so they're just playing around with it every which way because it was worthless. It meant absolutely nothing. Whatever standard that we use in terms of what we think our spiritual capital is worth, it's worth nothing in God's eyes if we don't know Christ. And that's the problem. In fact, um, it's interesting when we were in Colombia. Um, I remember standing behind a couple of men who were trying to exchange their money from some other country and the, the person behind the counter wouldn't receive it. It just it wasn't something that they wanted to take. But I had a crisp 100 U.S. dollar bill. And the person was like, come on over here. <laughs> I'll help you, you know, in that sense. Because it, it's pretty much taken by most countries around the world. Now, if I were to go in the same store and, and offered, you know, a couple hundred thousand rupees, they'd just laugh at me. In fact, it's strange, the, the coinage in Indonesian money is made out of a, aluminum rather than a nickel or whatever else the, ours is made out of nowadays. But aluminum is very lightweight, and when you hold it, it, it feels like it's play money. It doesn't even seem like it's real money. If, if I were to hand you Indonesian uh, coins, you'd be like, what's this? 
you know, in that sense. It wouldn't be accepted. But in the same way, even as American citizens, if we have a hundred US dollar bill and it's in any way blemished or cut in some way, it's not going to be accepted at a store, especially out of the country. They'll immediately, if, if I had even a line on uh, one of my dollar, my hundred dollar bills, they would reject it outright. Well, in the same way, if you have your greatest spiritual currency that you want to offer to God and it's in any way blemished, God's going to say, no, I don't accept that. But then to add on to that, you're absolutely bankrupt. You can never pay your way out. Your debt is extremely high. God will never be able to receive it from your hands. You can't buy your way out of your sin. As the hymn says that we'll later sing in Rock of Ages, even the labor of my hands can never fulfill God's demands. I have to come to Him. I have to fly to Him in desperation. That's why we have to become spiritual beggars. We simply cannot earn our own way with God. We can't. But here's the good news. The Gospel's free for poor people who know that they're poor in spiritual things. Isaiah 55, I love this passage. The Lord says to all who are poor in spirit, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Just turn to the Lord and He will have compassion on you. It's free. You don't need wheelbarrows and wheelbarrows full of money. Your money is worthless. He won't take it. But He will give it to you for free. All you have to do is ask. But you have to ask. Our money's worthless in God's eyes. Our spiritual Currency is worthless in God's eyes. True spiritual poverty places faith in someone else's importance, in someone else's provision, and in someone else's help. That's what it means to have faith in Christ Jesus. I don't look to myself. I don't look to my own provision. I don't look to my own ability. I have to look to Him for it all. Poverty of spirit is absolutely necessary for salvation. But it's not just necessary to be saved. It's also necessary for our sanctification. You don't stop being a spiritual beggar the minute that you profess faith in Christ. In fact, you become more of a spiritual beggar because you sense more of your need. I, someone I, I was reading a commentary this week, uh, someone great, great example. He said most people think of Christianity as if uh, it's like uh, our learning to ride a bicycle. Right? At first, we, we know that we need mom or dad's help. They have to steady the bike and they're going to hold on to it while we begin to pump the pedals and then fall down a few times. But eventually we get, a, get the hang of it and, and mom and dad, I don't need you anymore. You're gone. I'm, I'm good. I can do this all by myself now. I'm just going to go riding around the world on my bicycle now. See, Christianity's not like that, you see. There's never a moment where you don't need God's help. There's never a moment where you don't need the Spirit to be working for and in you. Apart from Him, what did Jesus say? You can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. And Christ Himself is, is the greatest example in that regard. You think about it, uh, the way the Scripture describes Him who is the perfect man, who is God Himself. He says, although He was equal with God, He didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing as a man. Listen to what He said, I can do nothing on my own. 
For I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He says, I am nothing apart from God. I can do nothing apart from my Father. I can say nothing apart from His holy will. You see His poverty of spirit in a man who had full resources in himself, and yet, because of his strong desire to have true fellowship with the Father, continued to rely upon Him for everything. Probably the best way to see that is in his prayer life. Think about it. If anyone didn't really need to pray that often, it might be Jesus, right? But you see him getting up early in the morning when no one is even awake yet, and he's praying to the Father, asking for grace, asking for help, asking for guidance, asking for power, and all those things. The only human who had spiritual riches in himself, he's still asking God for things again and again, begging for heavenly blessing. Now, if that's the way with Christ, man, what's it supposed to look like for us? I mean, Scripture says, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, what? The builders labor in vain. If we're not looking to the Lord to build, to watch over, to do all of these things, what are we doing? We're wasting our time. Psalm 123, the psalmist says, Behold, as the the eyes of a servant looks to the hand of his master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Is that how you see yourself? As a servant with an open hand, saying, Lord, I need more grace. I need your help. I need your favor. Or is it more like, well... If I've got time, maybe I'll ask God for something, but I don't necessarily need it. It's funny, you know, as, as kids, I, I think about, uh, you know, most kids, are, when they're learning to share prayer requests, they, they start off by saying, well, you know, pray for my grandma, pray for my dog, pray for, you know, other things like that, you know. Some people never grow up as an adult, so that's still all they're praying for, and their grandma's been dead for years, but they're still praying for grandma and, and dogs and whatever else, but when they get to become teenagers, they, they, they know that it's, it's becoming a little bit more personal. They get it kind of thing. But, but one of the hardest things I, I've ever seen is when you get someone who's in their late teens or even as an adult who, when you ask them for prayer, like, yeah, I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm like, really? You don't need anything? Someone who says that may just be saying, I don't want to share it with you. I get that. But if someone really believes that, I don't need anything, you are so far from the kingdom of God. You have no idea how desperate your situation really is. How much you really need more grace. Do you know yourself? John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion says very plainly, he said that if you want to grow in your faith, there are two things you have to know. You have to know yourself. And you have to know Christ. If you don't know yourself, you'll never know Christ. If you don't know your weakness, you will never know Christ's strength. If you don't know your poverty, you will never know His riches. You have to know what your situation really is. Or else, you will never grow up in the Christian faith. Probably the easiest way to recognize how poor in spirit you are is through your prayer life. If you don't pray much at all, it's a sure sign that there's some spiritual pride that's dwelling in there that you don't recognize. It's blinded you to your true need. It's only the one who knows that he has nothing who comes to Christ for everything. 
If your prayer life is very little, you have very little poverty of spirit. Likewise, the one who reads the Bible very little rarely considers the counsel of God. He doesn't feel like he needs it. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go about my work the day. If I have time to read God's Word, great, but you know, I can do without it. No one actually says that, but our actions say that, do they not? I don't need God's counsel today. I don't need His guidance today. I don't need His help today. There's definitely some spiritual pride there that hinders us from seeing what our true condition really is. Of course, the opposite's true as well. The, the, the poor in spirit, God's Word to them is, is better than a thousand pieces of gold and silver. The Scripture says. Just can't get enough. The Word of God seems to be the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in the field. They're willing to, to put aside everything else in their life. I have to have Your Word, God. I have to have it today. I'm a beggar. I need your help, your counsel. Same thing for prayer. Begging for spiritual alms daily. Oh Lord, more grace, more power, more love, more, more repentance, more faith. I don't get it, Lord. There's something wrong with me. Every morning at heaven's gates, asking, seeking, knocking. Lord, here's your beggar again. I need help. Help me in my weakness. Help me in my sin. I need You. Thomas Watson is a, uh, one of my favorite Puritans. He, just, he always knows how to turn words and make you think about spiritual things in a different way. He, he says a, a few more signs of a man who is poor in spirit. He says, if a man is a Christ admirer, he is poor in spirit. If he thinks very highly of Christ, it's because he thinks very lowly of himself. But the man who doesn't admire Christ very much really doesn't ever talk about Christ. It's because he's really thinking more about himself. He doesn't get it. Very little poverty of spirit. Likewise, he says, the one who is poor in spirit is ever complaining of his spiritual estate. He said, in the same way that a poor man constantly lets you know how poor he is, they can get your help as he's begging from you. The Christian is constantly complaining to heaven, Lord, I don't have anything. I need your help. Please give me. Throw me anything my way. Has to have it. Ready to confess every deficiency, every weakness, every transgression, every omission, every aspect of weakness because he knows that if he does, he will want Christ all the more. I like the way um, the Scripture puts it with the Syrophoenician woman, you know, as she's begging for help from Christ. Well, just give me some crumbs from the table. I'm begging you. Okay, fine. You can't give me the bread today. Can I just have what's left over from what's been given to others? Please help me. I'm desperate. I need it. Help me. The opposite are the spiritual hypocrites. They're constantly telling you what they have and what they've done. The spiritually poor are complaining about what they don't have and what they haven't done. They need it. They need help. The spiritually poor man is continually an exalter of free grace, Thomas Watson says. He's constantly telling people of the blessing that can be found in God and how free it is. He wants others to know how free the Gospel is. And then as a result, 
He then also has enough of God's mercy then to give you that free grace Himself. He wants to share what He has with you. He's not treating you as a servant when He Himself is the Master. Rather, He sees Himself as your servant. He knows something of the free grace of God and wants to share it. If you think about it, most financial beggars don't seem to be very happy at all, do they? Uh, on the street, do you ever see a, when you pass a person holding a sign, are they ever like, hey, doing this kind of thing? Uh, again, you, you, <laughs> I mean, uh, in addition just to the natural misery, I'm sure that many have experienced that have led to that, that state, I would think that most people would purposely not smile on purpose so that they would get more help, right? Because if they look like they're really happy, if they look happier than us, then we're like, well, you need to give me money, you know, in that sense. You wouldn't throw money their way. And so it, it, it pays for them to actually look more miserable, but it's the exact opposite for the spiritually poor. Once a Christian realizes that God's grace is free, he doesn't hide his pleasure in finding more of it. It makes him happier. In fact, what does he say? Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. They should be happier than the rich in spirit. They should be extremely happy. Why? Because God's riches are infinite. And you can ask as much as you want, and He has compassion and freely gives. It's not like He's, he's limited in what He can give you. It's, it's an ever-ending supply of grace and help. So smile. Ask for more. He'll give it to you. The more we ask, the happier we are. That's what the Beatitude seems to say. The poorer we seem, the more blessing we receive. The best part of the Beatitude is this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I like the, I like the way it's worded. Someone who's poor in spirit knows he doesn't have anything, but thing that God is promising him that he has everything. I have nothing, and yet now it's promising, God's promised me, I have the whole kingdom. I have everything that he has to offer me. It's all mine and more if I receive it by faith. He says those who know they have nothing, they're truly blessed by God because they actually have everything. So then how does one become spiritually poor? Just work on your face a little bit and work on your attitude a little bit. You know, shape up. Act a little bit more poor. You'll be okay. Maybe that's how it works. It's funny. You know, in the beginning of our Christian life, we often think that we can just like change our spiritual condition. You know, okay, you tell me I need to be this. Okay, I'll do that. I can be that. I can do that. There's, um, there's a character. If you ever read um, any Charles Dickens, David Copperfield's a great. Uh, he, Dickens as a whole, when he's describing his characters, he makes them just so ridiculous in every possible way. They're laughable. But one of the characters, his name is Uriah Heep. You ever heard of him before? Uriah Heep is this guy who has no humility whatsoever, but he's constantly going around and telling everybody, oh, I'm so humble. But he says with the, the British, I'm so humble. I'm so humble. I'm the most humble man I know. And then he's like, oh, and he, the way he's pictured, he's always like walking around like this. I'm so humble. Can you, uh, you're so much better than I am. You know, he's doing this over and over and over again. And uh, David Copperfield doesn't trust him at all. No one trusts him. He's an evil man, but he's coming across as if he's just gotten to figure it figured out that he's actually this really humble person. But you, you'll never grow in poverty of spirit by just trying to be more humble. Uh, trying to lower yourself in that sense. In fact, anytime you want to grow in the spiritual life, you never begin with yourself. You never look at yourself and say, well, I'm just going to work on that. You have to look to Christ. The only way to grow poor in spirit is to see ourselves in comparison 
to Christ, to see ourselves in comparison to God's law and what it requires. There's a standard by which we judge ourselves, and it's not by our neighbor. It's by God's law, by God's gospel, by God's Son, His Son Jesus. When we look at Jesus, who is the very radiance of God's glory, we come to see more and more of our own sin weakness. Do you remember when Peter saw something of the glory of God in the face of Christ and after the catch of fish? Do you remember what he said to Jesus? He said, depart from me, for I'm a sinner. He was looking at Christ and immediately he recognized how poor he was in spirit and how desperate he was that he was even afraid to have Christ be near him because he knew he was so lacking in holiness, so lacking in godliness. Once when he was talking to them about love and the need to forgive others, all the disciples said, oh Lord, increase our faith. He's just talking to them about what God requires. And and they're like, oh, I'm so desperate. I, I can't do that. I don't know how to love. I can't forgive. Lord, increase our faith that we might know what that even looks like. We don't know. When you spend time in God's Word and you see what God requires, who God is, it's immediate. You, you got a sense of poverty of spirit. And the more you're in, your wor- in the Word of God, the, the more poor you will grow in spirit. The less you're in God's Word, obviously, the richer you think you will be in a false sense of richness. But other than that, it's, it's mainly through trials and temptations that God initiates. <laughs> Don't try to initiate a trial or temptation on your own. It doesn't work. But if God initiates a trial and temptation, why do you think He does that? Why do you think He brings you through such horrible, difficult circumstances? It's because He wants you to grow in poverty. He wants you to learn to beg for grace from heaven. So He purposely brings you to the point of poverty in other ways so that you will learn that you have greater poverty in the ways of heaven. And you'll turn to Christ by faith and say, I've seen what happens when these things are taken from me and I am a miserable creature. I am a creature who is vile and ugly in every way. Lord, help me. Draw near to me. Have mercy upon me. Help me to look to the things that actually bring life rather than all these things that have only brought me misery. The the problem is we think that we can manage our life on our own, but then the Lord throws these trials into our life so that we can see just how poor of spirit we really are. That's how, he, that's how He works. I realize that most of us never want to be the, the blind man with the, out, the arms and the legs in Indonesia lying on the mat. If that's what it took for any of us to uh, enter the kingdom of heaven, most of us would probably say no, right? <laughs> well, cut off all your arms and legs, and I'm going to gouge out your eyes, and then... Uh, You can get in. You'll be saved. But the truth of the matter is this. You're already blind. You're already powerless, helpless, vile and wretched in every way. You don't have to make yourself that. That's already our condition. All you have to do is admit it. And turn to Christ by faith and plead, Lord, be merciful to me the sinner. Lord, be gracious to me. Help me in my time of need. I have nothing. I can do nothing. You are everything. You have everything. You can do all things. Help me, Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would indeed 
work these truths into our hearts. We can't do it on our own. We can't make ourselves humble. We can't make ourselves poor in spirit. But you can. We ask that you would help us to see ourselves clearly in the light of your word, clearly according to the revelation that's given to us from heaven. We pray, Father, that when we see it, that you would also give us the desire to turn to Christ and that you would make us more and more of a spiritual beggar than we have been. Not because that's something dirty, but rather because it's something wonderful, something that is blessed, something that makes Christians happy as we find our all in all in you and find nothing in ourselves. Lord, help us to see that clearly and to embrace Jesus Christ by faith, we pray.